Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you today. There is no place that I would rather be than right here worshiping the Lord with you. Honestly, I'm not fibbing. I'm not making it up. This is my favorite place to be on a Sunday morning. And uh, it has been for the past, I don't know, for three years, something like that. And, uh, and so it's just, it's amazing to me uh, as I've watched uh, the seasons uh, happen and watch people grow in their worship. Didn't the worship team do a fantastic job? Um, one of our prayers throughout the years has, that been, has been that Lighthouse would be the place where first prayers were prayed and first songs were sung and first sermons were preached. And uh, that was David Loveland's first time leading worship on a Sunday morning. So that is an answered prayer, and uh, uh, we've seen growth in all of our team, but particularly David and Denise Loveland are just great uh, folks here in this house that the Lord has used them throughout, I don't know how many years now, it's been a lot of years, but uh, they, they just uh, do make such an impact here, and so we're, we're, we're thankful for that. And uh, good to be with you. Um, how was your week? Did you have a good week? It's about to get better. We're going to get in the Word in just a second. Um, you know, uh, Holly and I took a couple days this, uh, this, uh, this past week and went up to uh, Shenandoah. Um, she wanted to see the place where I went four-wheeling without her. She was a little, I think, she didn't say this, but I think she was a little uptight that I went four-wheeling in the Land Cruiser without her. Now, you got to, let me just set you up uh, to, so you have a little understanding. Uh, the, I drive a 1997 Land Cruiser with 322,000 miles on it. Um, it's on its uh, second or third head gasket now, I think, something like that. I didn't have it for all those miles. Somebody else put most of those miles on it, but I just really enjoy this thing. And, uh, but I've noticed something is different about Ken Kramer now at 53 than but, you know, the things that really annoyed me when I was uh, 17, 18 years old don't annoy me so much anymore. I'm annoyed by different things than I was back then, than, back then right? And so, I, I, you know, uh, shout out to my dad. I know he's watching right now. But I'm, my, my first car was a, a 68 Mustang, and that thing burned oil like crazy. I had done some head work on it, had a little more compression, and so there, I had to just blow by on the rings all the time. Uh, I'm talking to some gearheads out here. Yeah, we're connecting right now. It's okay. And, uh, and so... Uh, so I was like, I was so annoyed with that, that it was burning oil. Here it was, you know, maybe 17 years old when I had this thing. And dad's like, son, you can put a lot of oil in that thing for a, an engine rebuild. Just keep dumping the oil in it. And I was like, dad, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And anyway, I just got annoyed with it and sold the car. And uh, ever had a car that you wish you hadn't sold? That was my car I wish I hadn't sold. Yeah, it'd be worth a lot of money today. And uh, so now I'm, I'm so, so get this. So we drive the Land Cruiser all the way up to, all the, way up to the Shenandoah. Um, the thing runs great, drives fine. The problem is it's got some valve stem seal leakage, right? So 24 valve double overhead cam engine and, uh, and it builds it up while you're driving down the road. Then you, you pull off at the, uh, the stop sign and you get ready to go to the convenience store and get some gas or something, as soon as you hit the gas, there's going to be a cloud of smoke out to the back of that thing. I mean, it's worse than the hazer on Sunday morning. I mean, you can't see the people behind you. You can't see the color of the car anymore. I watch people's eyes. They go, whoa, whoa, what is that? It's that bad. I'm not even exaggerating. And, uh, and so, uh, so now I just carry a gallon of oil in the back. And uh, 
every time I pull out, I just dump more. I already know it's low. I just dump more oil in. And uh, anyway, we're working through that. But um, things that happen as you grow, right? So today, um, we're talking about um, the importance of, of growing in our worship. I think this is, uh, this is part nine of Worship Unmasked. And I think this is probably the most important message. The other ones were built up to here. But we've got to learn to go deeper in the Lord in our worship. What worship was to me when I was 17 is far different than it is to me now at 53. And, uh, and, and so understanding what it means to, to go after God and to encounter the Lord in the presence of the Lord, it's very, very uh, significant that we gain that understanding. Lighthouse has been a recipient that you've heard me share this numerous times of uh, different worship renewals through the years and, and what those kind of meant. But really it comes down to this message and how you encounter God um, in moments where you, you, uh, you meet him and what he wants to do in you. Now, uh, how many of you came up maybe in, a, uh, maybe in a, a holiness preaching church? When I talk about holiness, uh, maybe it's Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy, uh, you know, Pentecostal holiness. How many of you just wave at me if you're familiar with those kind of things? How many of you are familiar with a church that preach more about you what, what you should not do rather than what you should do? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, legalism a lot of times, you know, uh, you, you got to get holy because if you're, you know, uh, you, you got get right or you're going to get left we used to fire and brimstone you've heard a little of that right and uh, so uh so i'm going to talk to you today a little bit about holiness we'll get into that in just a minute but before i get there we've got to kind of set up uh where this text is coming from this the text that we're going to read from today is in isaiah chapter six uh, but i got to give you a little bit of isaiah's background is found in the first few, few words that are in this text. And it goes like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Say that with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What did it mean to Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died? What was the political uh, uh, status? What did it matter to, uh, uh, to Isaiah that the first words out of his mouth as he's getting ready to talk about his God encounter, before he can talk about his God encounter, he's got to talk about in the year that King Uzziah died. So you got to back up the story a little bit. King Uzziah was a good king that had a sad ending. King Uzziah was the wonder boy who at 16 years old became king of Israel. And he served Israel uh, in a strong way for 52 years. The problem was that uh, when King Uzziah uh, looked around at all the success that God had given him, he started to... Uh, breathe in. Uh, somebody once asked David Wilkerson a long time ago, well, what do you do when all the people, all these accolades are flying around your head and all these good things that people are saying about your life? What, what, uh, what do you do in that moment? He says, I just don't inhale. You know, King Uzziah inhaled. King Uzziah thought that all of the blessing of God was because of his own hand, because he was doing all the right things and good things were happening. And the king got proud. Now, in uh, King Uzziah's day back in Israel, they had, a, they had their own three, uh, three forms of government, as, you, as it will, or three branches of government. You had your prophets, your priests, and your kings. And they all had a, a, a role to play in how God had set things up. The priests were to take care of the presence of the Lord and the things as it related to the temple. The prophets were to call out the word of the Lord and say, this is what God is saying, and this is how you align with him, and, and, uh, and, and 
and they, they kind of kept the temperature on what was going on with the people. And then there was the king. Now, God didn't ever really want his people to have a king. He wanted to be their king, but that wasn't what the people wanted. And so, uh, so God gave them a king. And so there, there was this lineage of the, the kingly reigns all the way through. And so the monarch was the one that was in charge of decision making. They, he was in charge of making sure that uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the reign of the kingdom was advanced and, and kept in order and all of that kind of thing. Well, King Uzziah one day, uh, after 52 years, uh, decides that he wants in on what the priests are doing. I don't know if they're not doing it correctly, but the king decides that he is going to go offer incense in the, in the temple. And so he goes and he takes the, uh, the priestly censer and he puts incense in it and he lights it and he begins to walk into the presence of God. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. And so he walks right into the presence of God. Eighty priests confronted him. And they said, you are doing what it's not lawful for you to do. You, you better get out of here. You can't do this. Please don't do this. And as he's railing against them, decrying and saying who he is, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. He feels it. He sees it. They all stand back. Now there's uncleanness in the house of God. Uh, leprosy is broken out and the judgment of the Lord has fallen on this king and he runs out of the building. So this is 10 years after that, that Isaiah recognized. So, that, so here's this good king, right? For 52 years, he serves well. And then pride rises up, leprosy breaks out and he has to live outside the camp. He went from, he went from, the, uh, you know, from the palace to the outside of the camp. Because of his pride. How many of you have ever found your pride will take you places that you never meant to go? So, so the king is banished from the city. He has to live, as it were, in a leper colony for 10 years until he dies. And the epitaph on his, on his tomb was not about the 52 years of all the good things that he did. They just said he had leprosy. The last words of a, of a mighty king, he had leprosy. Not about all the great things he did, not about all the years that he, uh, that he did good things, he had leprosy. And so you, uh, Isaiah is here now, and he's, 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 in, he's, he's thinking about these things. He's thinking that was the king, and if that can happen to the king, what about me? I'm a prophet. And in the year that King Uzziah died, so, so Isaiah is reflecting on, on his life. He's reflecting on the political scene. He's reflecting on everything that happened. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the real king. I saw the king that never changes. I saw the king who rules and reigns over all the earth. I saw the king whose throne will be established or is established forever. Um, he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tong- with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Father, as we enter into this holy moment gathered around your word, sharing a holy moment with the prophet of old, God, I pray today that we would have our own holy moment, that we would have our own sin exchange and atonement, that we would have our own moment, God, where we recognize, Lord, that without you we can do nothing, but with you anything is possible, and God, that today we would take hold of our place in worship that we ought to have taken hold of before. Help us, Lord, to take a step closer. Help us to take a step deeper. Help us to wade into your presence in ways that we have never done before and will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that happens with Isaiah is that he understands where he is, where he has missed it. Uh, worship, true worship, brings us into an understanding, just like Pastor Daniel said earlier. Um, you know, worship brings us into clarity, our understanding of who we are. We see ourselves and our failings. Let me tell you, I, I can tell if a person is a worshiper because they don't speak too highly of themselves. I can tell if a person is a worshiper because they're careful about the words that they use. Because they've been in the presence of the Lord enough that they realize it's possible for me me to miss it. In fact, I have missed it, and I missed it so many times I'm sick of missing it. And so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. When we're younger, we haven't beat our head against that wall too many times. And so we're, we're easy on, you know, we'll just say whatever comes to mind. I like the person who's sitting back a little bit, just waiting, waiting to see, right? The old, there's the old, the old saying, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes just because there's space doesn't mean you need to fill it with words. Worship brings recognition of our plight before God. The Bible tells us that you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins in the way that we used to live. We can, we can dress these dead bodies up and make them look pretty. We can, we, can, uh, we can put ourselves in a nice house in a nice car, but the Bible says we're still dead. Without the presence of Jesus on the inside, we're still dead. We're unclean. We, we don't have what we need to live. And so worship brings, us, uh, brings recognition of our plight before God. The Lord's presence makes us aware of our sin. Sometimes worship makes you feel worse before it makes you feel better. And sometimes when we can't figure things out, it's because we're trying to figure things out. That if we'll just get into the presence of the Lord, he'll show us what's wrong. He'll show us where we're broken. He'll show us where we, we're, we're trying to fix the wrong things. Oftentimes we try to fix our reputation, but God's concerned about our character. We're, we're trying to do the window dressing and Jesus said, just bring the whole thing in and let me show you where it's broken. Let me show you where you're not where you need to be. And here's the good news. The Lord's compassion draws us into purity. See that the coal from the altar, which purifies Isaiah. 
Notice that God didn't go and build the altar. The altar was already there. That the fire was already on the altar and God just dispatched the angel to do the work for the prophet. He didn't wait for the prophet to show up in worship to get everything started. What God shows you and I from this is that Isaiah had an encounter with the real and true living God and that this, this throne room has been in existence as long as God has been around. That God gave Isaiah a glimpse of it. That it actually exists, that the presence, the throne of God and the presence of God and the holy angels, this is happening 24-7 since, uh, since the beginning, before the beginning of time. This is the presence of God. And the coal from the altar purifies Isaiah. God knows where we need cleansing, and he has provided a way for us to be clean. Notice the thing that Isaiah says. It's, it's, after we, we've read this, you've read this verse numerous times, and so it, you, you stop, it loses its edge. You, you, you miss the point of really what he's saying. Isaiah says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why would the prophet say I'm a man of unclean lips? He didn't say I'm a man of unclean mind. He didn't say I'm a man of unclean hands. He said I'm a man of unclean lips. Probably in Isaiah's mind at that moment, he was thinking, you know, as long as Zechariah the prophet was around, Uzziah did okay. Zechariah had a relationship with the king, and Zechariah showed the king how to keep himself aligned. But something happened with the passing of the baton, and, and here's this prophet Isaiah, and he's, he knows that he's supposed to speak the word of the Lord, and he knows that the word of the Lord is there to restrain the king, and yet the king wasn't restrained. And, and so Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. When you come into the presence of the Lord, oftentimes your strength is your weakness. Oftentimes the area where you think, man, I got it together in this area, it's blinding you to the things, to, to the weak areas of your life. It's blinding you from the things that other people can see quite well, but you can't see yourself. Bring it into the presence of God and God will show you where you're broken. Bring it into the presence of God. When you and I come to the, to, into the presence of the Lord, he's gonna show you your plight. And, and the thing that nags you the most, oftentimes you get into the presence of the Lord, he'll begin to speak to you. He'll show you, and here's the good news. He wants to, he wants to bring his life to you. Secondly, worship brings restoration by imparting and applying God's holiness to us. Like I said, those, the old holiness preachers uh, used, to, used to preach against anything that had any kind of sin associated with it. And can I tell you that uh, in, in, a, in a world that, that loves all kinds of colors and gray is a color too, but uh, they would bring out the black and white. You know, they just lay it down for you, you know. Uh, one, one preacher used to say it this way. He said, if Jesus comes back and you're in the movie house, you'll have plenty of time to watch your movie show. Because you ain't going to go. Because you're in the movie house. Now we can laugh about that. We can laugh about the fact that, you know, uh, probably most of us here in this room, if you had any kind of gold jewelry on at all, if you had any kind of makeup on at all, that was probably an indicator of your worldliness. 
And you say, well, that really misses the point, Pastor Ken. Yes, it does. But they had a respect for the holiness of God, which at some level we have lost, right? But how do you attain holiness? That's the question. See, that's the real question. If we can answer that question, how can we, how can we as a people like, like Isaiah got into the presence of God and watched all of the angels shouting holy and suddenly he feels unholy? What do we do in that matter? What do we do in that moment? What happens? And, and here's the thing. You need to understand the definition of the word holy. The word holy means wholesome. It means whole. It means healthy. When you get into the presence of God, we, we, because we are human beings, when you get into the presence of God and you recognize that the living God is standing there before you and he is so far above and different uh, and complete in ways that we are not, the only word that adequately describes him is holy. But he doesn't want to keep you out. He wants to invite you in. He doesn't want to push you away with his holiness. He wants you to appreciate and enjoy and experience his holiness. After all, he's the one that made it possible that we could participate in the divine nature. If he wanted to keep us out, we're already out. There's no access except that he makes access. There's no possibility that we could approach him at all. We wouldn't have any concept. Just like an ant doesn't understand the concept of a nuclear reactor. It couldn't, it, its little ant brain couldn't comprehend. Right? So you and I the same way with God. It's his holiness. What does it mean that God is holy? Again, we think, of, uh, we think of holiness as the purity that we want to achieve. We imagine God saying, you better get this way or I won't be happy with you. But holiness has this relationship with these words that mean whole and wholesome and health. God offers to enter into my incompleteness with his completeness. He offers to enter into my brokenness with his wholeness. He offers to do that. When we come before him, when we just bring our stuff, touch your neighbor, say, bring your stuff. Just bring your stuff. Just stop trying to put it on and act like you ain't got stuff. All God's children got stuff. Right? We're all broken. We're all messed up. Welcome to the human race. This is who we are. Stop, stop trying to dress yourself up. Just get in the presence of God. Let him show you where you're broken. And having shown you where you're broken, God wants to apply his holiness. This only comes, this only comes when we worship because it's the only thing that we can adequately do without incurring, you know, as unrighteous people, the only thing we can do is worship a righteous God. Does that make sense? It's our entry point. It's our ramp up. This is how you move into his presence. Number three, worship restores our sense of worthiness. Ready for a, a, another, another word study? You've heard me use this metaphor before, but uh, the, the word uh, unworthy comes from this idea of a coin that was minted uh, maybe back uh, a couple hundred years ago. You would have a coin, a one ounce coin would be worth one ounce because when it was minted, it was pressed. Uh, they would take one ounce of, of gold and they would press it and put an image on it. And it'd have an image, an inscription, the date, all of that kind of stuff. 
And so when coin, coins would be weighed out and they would go into circulation, they'd be weighed out and you could trade them uh, based on however much something was worth. It was worth however much it weighed. The problem was the longer the coin was in circulation, you know what happens, right? The inscription gets worn down. Pretty soon those malleable metals would rub off. And as, as the coin was rubbed off, the inscription, would, the image would rub off on it, the inscription rub off, and pretty soon when you weighed that one ounce coin, it no longer weighed one ounce. Now it was worth less than it was when it was minted. Are you tracking with me? So when we talk about something being worthless, you ever, you ever sin and feel worthless? Worthless? And, we, and, that's the script, and that's kind of the scripture we use. Man, I'm not worth anything. I'm worthless. I'm worthless as this. I'm worthless as that. What, what, we're, we're not far off. We are worth less than if we hadn't gone and sinned. You know, yeah, the, the world sometimes does have a clue about some things. You ever, uh, a, a few years ago, uh, and, and I never watched any of it because uh, I wasn't really interested in it, but The Walking Dead, right? The Walking Dead. You've heard, you've heard of The Walking Dead. And uh, our world has a love affair with darkness. Our world has a love affair with death. We have a culture of death. That's why you as a believer in Jesus Christ are, are such a light in a dark world because we're in love with the life giver. We're in love with the one who, who, whom to know is eternal life, the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. He's all about life. But, you know, people on the planet without Jesus are literally the walking dead. Because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The light of God is not on the inside of you. You have to be born again. That's what the scripture tells us. You get born again and, and then the light comes on on the inside. Holy Spirit is ministering on the inside of you. He makes Jesus real. Think about it this way. Sin makes you less than human. Because when God minted the first man in the garden and he created him sinless, and he was created in the image and likeness of God. God said, now that's good. And he created Eve and said, that's very good. And all the men said, amen. That's very good. But then sin entered the world. And what they went from the completeness of everything that God had provided and decided that they were going to write their own ticket decided they knew better, and they became less than the human that God initially created them to be. So every person on the planet that has sin, sin is anything that makes you less human. The problem is we don't get it. The problem is in deception, we think all I got to have is, that, uh, is, is another $500. All I got to have is that, no, is, is that uh, another sex, sex, uh, sex escapade, whatever. All I got to have is that other career. All I, gotta, all I had to do was say it was sex, and you guys paid attention, so I was, I was belaboring that a little bit. Um, uh, all I got to have is that other drink. All I got to have is that other drug. One more of this, one more of that, and I'll feel complete. No, you won't. You'll feel worthless. Five minutes later, you'll have buyer's remorse. Five minutes later, you'll have remorse. Oh, why did I do that? Five minutes after you ate too much. You're saying, why did I eat that? What is it? It's when you, when you step over a line, you feel worthless. How do you restore worth? 
Where do you go to buy it? Where could you line up in the line and say, I want to restore my human worth. Where do I get that from? There's only one place. You got to go back to the creator. You got to go back to the redeemer. You got to go back to the sustainer. Why? Here's Here's what happens. The weight of God's glory. You and I were created in the image and likeness of God. And the weight of God's glory, when we enter into worship, I mean really enter into his presence, God comes and he restamps his image on you. God says, you're mine, and he stamps the image of what a man, a son, or a daughter of God, he restamps his, he recasts you. He says, let me show you what human worth really is. When you find out who God is, he'll show you who you are. He'll show you who you were meant to be, and you can stop chasing all that stuff. You can stop chasing down things that are going to make you feel worth less than you did before. So worship restores our sense of worthiness. God wants to do a transforming work in your life. He wants to take what you offer him and he wants to bring back to you. He wants to multiply life back to you. How many of you believe that? Two guys were uh, working in a, on a job site one day, and, and uh, one guy, his wife had been dragging him to church, and, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't know where the other guy stood with the Lord, but he wasn't buying it. He wasn't buying what that preacher had to say, and the preacher that week had preached about Jesus turning the water into wine, and Jesus, Jesus multiplying the, the loaves and the fishes, and he was talking about the miracles of Jesus, and, and this guy is just kind of on a rant. He says, man, I don't believe in what that preacher was saying. I don't know why I let my wife drag me to church like that. It's just a bunch of nonsense. And he's talking and he's talking and he's talking. Man, do you you really believe that Jesus could turn water into wine? Do you really believe that Jesus could multiply the bread and the loaves? And the other guy said, well, I don't know about the loaves and the fishes. And I don't know about the water into wine. But in in my home, Jesus turned whiskey into furniture. And he turned wine into milk for the kids. And in my life, see, if if you just have a theory about transformation, it doesn't count. It doesn't work. But when you encounter Jesus, come on, somebody in here. You know, when you encounter Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place. He causes a shift in how you see yourself. He changes you from the inside out. You're not the same person anymore. You start to feel worth what Jesus says you're worth. God bankrupted heaven for you. God took the the most precious possession he had, his very own son, and he put him on a cross, and he nailed him to that cross, and he poured out his blood for you. And one drop of that blood, one drop of that blood changes you from just a belief in it. Jesus, I believe, I believe you're the one. And in that moment, you understand the worth that God places on your life. You are made for more than sin. You are made for more than just being comfortable on this planet. You are a citizen of heaven. God uses gold as road patch in heaven. Why are you chasing a bunch of road patch? Your worth is far above what you could ever comprehend. But so you don't have to comprehend it. What you have to do is get into his presence and let him show you. 
the best I could ever do is talk to you about this for the next 10,000 years and I'd still fall short. God loves you with an everlasting love. He doesn't want to let you go. He, he's not going to quit until you understand his love that surpasses knowledge. And he wants to reveal that love to you. Why? Because he does. Because he's God and he knows more than you and I know. And he wants you to experience him. That's what worship is about. You come into the house of the Lord and, and, and as a newbie you say, oh, I just feel so unholy. Good. That's step one. I feel so unworthy. Good. That's step two. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going into the presence of God. Watch what you'll find. You'll find that God is already taking care of that unholiness. and He's already taking care of that unworthiness. And you just keep going after God. And you're going to discover his holiness in you. And you're going to discover his worthiness in you. You're going to find out who you are. Praise God. Church, this is, this is the trail of worship. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're spending so much time on it. Because you and I need to join together with him. He wants us to become partakers of the divine nature. Amen? This stuff only happens when we worship. Worship restores our sense of worthiness, number four. Worship regenerates us with the power of God. Worship regenerates us with the power of God. Do you remember the story where, uh, where Moses is out, uh, you know, tending the flock, and he's out there, and there's this burning bush, right? And bushes burn out there, but they, bushes burn, and they're consumed. They're just, you know, that, that uh, there's so little humidity, and they would just catch fire, and they'd just be consumed. But in this case, there was this burning bush that didn't burn up. It just sat there. And the fire, the, the fire, we know it was the presence of the Lord. The fire of God was just burning right there on that bush the whole time. It just, it just sat there and it burned and it burned and it burned and it burned. Can I just tell you something? That God's presence is, a, is like a fire. God's presence is a fire that when it's on the inside of you, you will never, ever, ever burn out. Uh, you will never flame out. You will never fall apart. You know, I think at some point Uzziah probably figured out he got bored being king. He got bored being king. He said, I think I want to be a priest today. And he stepped out of line because he got bored. Some of us get bored because we haven't experienced the fire of God. We haven't experienced the presence of the Lord. We, we, we think it's all about us, but really it's, we've got to orient ourselves about being all about him, right? And so I want to talk to you for a minute about fire. And then we're going to worship again. Fire, first of all, fire refines. It burns out the residue of what's unworthy on the inside of us. Bring your old, nasty, unworthy self into the presence of Jesus. I don't feel like worshiping, Pastor Ken, because you don't know what I've been doing. Well, you don't know what I've been doing either. So together, preacher and parishioner, we're going to go all the way into the presence of Jesus. And we're going to let him 
burn out of us what ought not to be there. We're going to let him take care of our uncleanness. We're going to let him take care of our gossiping self, our slandering self, our fornicating self, our adultering self. We're going to bring all of those selves together. Uh, Watchman Nee used to tell a story about an evangelist that, uh, that came alongside of him for a while. And, uh, and the evangelist was telling the story. And he said, I remember. This was before he got saved. He said, I remember Watchman doing a, uh, an altar call. And I was there. And he said, I was out there in the crowd. It's a big number of people. The altar call song was, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And then, the, and then Watchman would stop and he'd say, now. All of you thieves, all of you thieves, meet me down here at the cross. At the cross, at the cross. Pretty soon, two or three people would stand up and they'd come down to the altar. He'd say, now, all of you fornicators, all you fornicators, come down to the altar. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And he said, this guy said, I just kept watching him come. I kept watching him come. I kept watching him come. He said, no, he hadn't called me out yet. No, he hadn't called me out yet. No, he hadn't called me out yet. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. All of you liars, all of you liars, come to the cross. Oh, I knew he had me. You come. Into the presence of the Lord, and the fire of God burns out the residue of what's unworthy. Fire consumes, it takes the junk out of our lives and burns it up. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And when you worship the one who says of himself, our God is a consuming fire, he will consume the things that are in your life that ought not to be there. He'll put in your things, uh, put in your life the things that ought to be there. He will bring his holiness to you as you approach the throne of grace with confidence. You're going to find help in your time of need. You say, well, I'm unholy. Well, go find the one who is holy. I'm unworthy. Well, go meet with the worthy one. And let him recast you into his image. Amen. Uh, Fire melts. Our hard hearts are made soft again. Our hard hearts. Some of us, you know, right now in this season, it's easy to get a hard heart. Marriages are suffering right now because of hard-heartedness that happens because of all the pressure that's going on. The enemy wants to divide you. He wants to pull you apart. But fire will melt the hardness of your heart. Get into the presence of God. Get into the presence of God. Watch God do a work. Fire warms. Our cold hearts are thawed. Our cold hearts are thawed. Many, many years ago, uh, I got a call in the middle of the night to come down uh, to meet with somebody. There was a, there was a gentleman that found out that his wife was uh, cheating on him. And he had a gun. He's going to go take the guy out. And so a family member called me and said, hey, can you meet? And I said, sure. And I came down here, put on a pot of coffee. It was probably about midnight. And, uh, and, and we were down here. You know, we were down here. And I'm like, you know, we talked and I listened. And, you know, and he told me what was up and told me how he was feeling, all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? I said, the only thing I can tell you is that we need to get in the presence of God. 
said, I really don't have any solutions. I haven't been where you're at. I can't, I can't empathize but so much, but I hear the brokenness and I hear what's going on in your heart. And you know what? If we'll just get into the presence of God, we began to, he got on his knees right down here and we began to pray. And I watched the Holy Spirit come upon this man and I watched the Lord break him. I watched the fire of God come upon him. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. His tears started to flow. God melted what was going on in his heart. Afterwards, he handed me the gun. He said, I don't need this anymore. God did a work in his heart when we went into worship. I don't know what you're struggling with, but it may not be quite at the level where he was at. Do you think God could touch your life right now? Do you think that God could regenerate something? He could kickstart something? He could consume something that was in the past that needed to be got rid of? Do you think God's big enough to do that in your life today? I believe he is. I believe the same God, the same Jesus is, he's the one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God's presence is a consuming fire. Fire warms our cold hearts and fire ignites where we've been turned off. God wants to switch us back on. He wants to switch us back on. Can we stand this morning? This altar is open again if you want to come and meet with the Lord. Come on, go after God today. You might be feeling unholy. Let him impart his holiness to you. Well, Pastor Ken, you don't know how bad I'm broken. You don't know how God's got it all together. God's got more than you all together. God, every human being could could get right with God in a moment's time and it would not cause a brownout in heaven. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We worship the worthy one. It's been a hard week, Pastor Ken. People have run me down. People have talked about me. People believe in stuff about me that's not true. I feel worthless than I did before. Come on. Meet with Jesus today. Let him restore you. Let him restore you. Let him take you to a deeper level in God than you have ever been. Bring that stuff and lay it at his feet.